Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast again. Uh, we're basically just going to talk about, to start off with, what happened in sports in the recent days. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about first is Dalvin Cook, and I'll basically talk about the rest of the rookie running backs. Uh, Dalvin Cook looked great for the Vikings against the Bills. I know it's a little bait, a little late to be reporting on this, but I figured it was worth talking about. Uh, Dalvin Cook was able to get going in the passing game. Uh, I think that was kind of a product of their crappy O-line in that game. Uh, Dalvin Cook was able to rush five times for 13 yards, so very subpar, not that great. But he also gained 30 yards on four receptions. So out of coming out of college, I don't know if many people expected Dalvin Cook to be the pass catcher out of that backfield. I thought maybe Jarek McKinnon would be able to take those roles. But... It's looking like Dalvin Cook's going to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. He looks like he's going to be a three-down back. Um, Dalvin Cook, for me, it looks like he's going to be the starter because Latavius Murray doesn't look to be in the greatest shape. He just came off the pup list. Um, he's not going to take that role from Dalvin Cook. Maybe he'll get a few carries here and there, change a pace back. But for now, it looks like Dalvin Cook's going to be the starter for the Vikings. Um, one thing to note is Dalvin commented on his game saying that he wasn't happy with his performance and that he was anxious. Uh, it's good to know that Dalvin wasn't happy with his performance to the point where you know that he's going to try to get better and he's not satisfied with a subpar rushing performance. Um that's something I, I like that in my running back. I want him to be mad at himself because he's not getting what he's supposed to be. Given he was taken in the second round, so he has somewhat high expectations. Um, Cook, he could literally not do worse than what AP was last year. So it only goes up from here for the Vikings. Um, I'm thinking Sam Bradford will be competent enough to get the ball out. He has Thielen. He has Diggs. He has Kyle Rudolph. Um, this offense is going to move the ball. The defense is outrageous. They're amazing. So it's looking to be like the offense will be on the field. They're going to rush the ball. Um, I like what I saw to Dalvin Cook this preseason. Next, we have Joe Mixon. And we all know about Joe Mixon and his off-field issues and everything that comes with the baggage of drafting Joe Mixon, but the Bengals did. Uh, Joe Mixon, Gary... Carried the ball six times for 31 yards. That's pretty decent. About a five-yard per carry clip. Um, he also got a reception for 11 yards, which on that reception, he was able to make a bunch of guys miss. I think he broke two tackles and stiffed arm another safety to the ground. Given it was probably a second or third string, um, I don't know specifically who it was. It could have been a first string, but... Mixon definitely did look shifty, definitely looked good. Um, we have a note here that says he looked like a spark plug on the field. Um, he he came out of his cuts quick. He was agile. He, he looked great. Like, I know I've said that about Cook, too, but he looked great as a rookie running back. Uh, Hill is listed as the starter in Cincinnati at the moment. But I'm not looking for Hill to hold on to that job very long. Hill has been subpar at best. Um, other than touchdowns, he really hasn't done much on the ground. He's a, I don't want to call him like a blunt, like a poor man's blunt. Gets the touchdowns, but he's not great on the ground getting all of those yards. 
I just don't see Hill staying in a role that's going to, one, if we're talking about fantasy, produce a fantasy running back that's decent. But I think it's a good thing that the Bengals have options at running back. I think it makes that team even more potent with A.J. Green and Dalton. With Eifert coming off an injury last year, he seems to be healthy in camp for the first time this year. I think I was reading somewhere they mentioned that Tyler Eifert this is his first preseason. This is like the first time he hasn't been hurt. So that's going to be nice for Dalton. He's going to have Eifert coming out right away. It's it's looking good for the Bengals. I th- and you know, I think they might actually win a playoff game this year. <laughs> I mean, the division's not very good. I think I think Joe Mixon and the Bengals are going to have a great year. Uh, this is a big note. Leonard Fournette out of practice today after a foot injury on Thursday. Normally, I don't think I'd put very much stock into an injury in practice that doesn't seem to be too serious, but the fact that Leonard Fournette had foot injuries consistently at LSU, it's it's a cause for concern. Um, Do I think that this is real serious at the moment? No, but it's definitely worth tracking. Um, Obviously, the Jags see him better than Mixon and Cook. Um, He's going to get the workhorse load that the Jaguars drafted him at four. Um, He's going to get his touches. The only thing that I saw from Fournette that's going to hinder his, his outlook is that Bortles is trash. Um, He's not, he's not good. Bortles is going to kill that offense. And I think that Jaguars defense is pretty legit. And I think it's very weird to have a Jaguars team where I don't think it's absolutely completely awful. And I'm thinking Fournette adds another thing to that offense that's going to make it better. But with Bortles at the helm, I, I, don't, I don't see that offense doing anything. I think it's hard for Fournette or Allen Robinson to, to get going. I th- the other day at practice, uh, Blake Bortles had thrown a ball that was a little bit out of bounds to Allen Robinson. And there was a, there's a reporter that has a video of Allen Robinson saying, bro, keep the ball in bounds and just swearing at your quarterback. And that's not something I want to see. Um, I, I like Leonard Fournette. I think he's going to have a great rookie season, but I think you have to hinder expectations for the fact that Blake Bortles is your quarterback. So moving forward, the Jaguars fans have started a chant that says we want Chad Henney. And if you want Chad Henney as your starting quarterback over Blake Bortles, I, it's not looking too good for you. Um, Fournette's absence hurts more when combined with the injury of Marquise Lee, who went down with a high ankle sprain. Um, that could carry over the first several weeks of the season. It, the Jaguars are going to struggle to start with. I think there is a chance that midseason Blake Bortles breaks out and not break out like lighting the world on fire, but breaks out in the terms of he, he stops throwing interceptions. He's able to hit the, the wide receiver. He's able to hand the ball off because he's able to throw. Um, yeah, I, I liked what I saw out of Leonard Fournette. I didn't like what I saw out of Blake Bortles in that offense. Uh, moving on, we have Travis Benjamin of the Chargers. That's someone I'm pretty sure no one thought was going to be on the podcast. But it's worth noting that Travis Benjamin had two catches for 89 yards and a touchdown. Uh, 
this wouldn't be anything to really note because it's a preseason game, but Travis Benjamin did do really well with the Browns two years ago and was kind of left to die last year with the Chargers. But I'm thinking this year with Tyrell Williams, Keenan Allen, there is a spot where Travis Benjamin can be relevant in terms of fantasy. And I think this is a great a great wide receiver for the Chargers. I think he he stretches the field. Uh, it's nice to have a wider like depth at your wide receiver core when Keenan Allen. I'm not going to say he's injury prone because he's kind of gotten some unlucky bounces between the lacerated kidney. Um, he tore his ACL in Week One, which it's nice. I'm not going to say it's nice to have an injury, but when you get injured week one, you're able to rehab through the whole year, and then you're able to you're able to be in training camp the next uh, fall. Um, I think this offense is going to be good uh, with the addition of Mike Williams when he comes back. Uh, Mike Williams is looking to come back in October. Uh, they just mentioned that he's he's rehabbing well, and he's coming in October, from what the sounds of it are. And I think that offense could be deadly. That's a lot of wide receivers that, honestly, they're really good. I think Tyrell Williams is going to have a breakout year. Uh, I'm not sure about Keenan Allen. I don't know. He's got, he, like I said, he's got the ACL. He he has to prove it to me that he's going to be able to cut and move. But I think it is worth noting Travis Benjamin looked good in the preseason. And take that with a grain of salt. It is the preseason. But Travis Benjamin, to me, looked good. Uh, this is another person that looked very good in preseason. It's Kenny Galladay. Uh, Kenny Galladay had, I think it was two catches for 57 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Kenny Galladay was not being drafted. And I'd, I'd like to keep this away from the fantasy football aspect, more towards what this could do for the Lions and what I saw in him. Uh, he could be the third receiver behind Marvin Jones and Golden Tate, and he's a big body receiver. I think this is what Matthew Stafford needed. Uh, Matthew Stafford's career has been based around chucking the ball up and letting Calvin Johnson catch it. Um, <laughs> he he needs another big body receiver. Um, Golden Tate and Marvin Jones just aren't going to get it done for you. And Eric Ebron's never on the field. He's consistently injured. I don't want to bank on that. I just don't trust him. Um, Kenny Galladay, uh, you know, it's a conservative, it's a conservative pass offense in the aspect of they didn't really throw it deep, but they did throw a lot. So it's nice having another receiver in that offense to be able to move the ball. Uh, the running game is going to be decent. Uh, Amir Abdullah, uh, Riddick, Zach Zenner getting the goal line. I think I think the Lions are going to be decent. That defense took a hit. I think one of their linebackers is out for the year now. Uh, the the defense wasn't great in the first pay, place. Darius Slay is good. Uh, I think it's Whitehead. Um, all, all those guys. I think I think the Lions are going to be decent. Kenny Galladay is a great rookie that I think could be able to make plays for them. Honestly. Uh, I won't beat the dead horse too much on this guy, but Kenny Galladay looked really nice. Um, the biggest thing that happened over the week was Ezekiel Elliott's suspension. And this is something that I, it caught me off guard. I was not expecting Zeke to get six games to start the year. Six games. 
I mean, Ray Rice got two. Josh Brown got one. I think this is just a an NFL like it's a precedent that they're trying to reestablish in the aspect of they they screwed up with Ray Rice and Josh Gordon. They they have to make it up in a way. And how do you make it up? Well, you suspend one of the top three running back in the league for six, literally half a season, just to prove a point that you, you are not to be messed with. Um, what this does for the Dallas Cowboys is uh, they, they have to have Derek McFadden, the injury prone running back. He is in the backfield. Uh, I think Alfred Morris is very competent. I think he is he was great for the Redskins. He's been really well. He's been performing very well in the preseason. So if McFadden were ever to miss time, Alfred Morris is good. That offensive line is good. Um, you know, I don't see this actually. I think it would net maybe two more losses for the Cowboys. I still think they're going to hang around eight and eight, maybe nine wins. Uh, I don't think this actually does too much just because that old line, it's a plug and play system. You could put whoever you want. Darren McFadden rushed for a thousand yards behind that line before Zeke. So I'm not too worried about that aspect. I'm just worried about teams not respecting the run in terms of they're going to target a young quarterback in Dak Prescott rather than having to focus on the veteran McFadden behind that line. So I think this is, it's, it's not good, but saying that it's a complete negative for the Cowboys, I like given Zeke's talent, it's obviously a negative, but I don't think it is a negative to the point where you think the Cowboys are just going to be awful, which some people think the Cowboys are awful because they're they're the Cowboys, they're the cheaters, they're the second biggest. Um, they basically have delinquents playing for their team. I know it's sad to say, but they uh, they haven't had too much luck in terms of staying unsuspended and out of jail lately. Um, it is important to note that Zeke is appealing the suspension. Uh, he's. It's a possibility that he will get a reduced sentence from the league, which I actually think is going to happen. I think he gets reduced to four, and Zeke... I, I don't think they had enough evidence to give him... Uh, to warrant six games. Um, he was cleared by the U.S. court system with no, no backlash at all. I think... It's kind of not. I'm not. Is it weird that they gave him six games for what seems like almost no reason? I'm not saying that he did or did not do it, but from what I've seen, it doesn't look like he did it. Given there's a St. Patrick's Day incident where he pulled the woman's shirt down, um, I think that is a part of this. It gives a bad rap to the league, and you can't have your star players doing that. But does that warrant six games? No, that does not warrant six games to me. Um, the appeal is to focus on the ex-girlfriend's testimony. I think they found a flaw in her testimony. Um, another th another aspect to that is they... they Okay, so Zeke and his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend had made a sex tape. And from what I have read, she's used that sex tape as blackmail to Ezekiel Elliott. So that's being brought up in the appeal. From everything I've heard, 
the appeal, I think, will actually go well. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is that it gets pushed towards the latter half of the season. And for people in fantasy tournaments or fantasy leagues, they're not going to get Zeke in their late playoff push, given that has nothing to do with a Zeke suspension. It, it just it irks me as a Zeke owner. So I, I'll bet a little bit there, but it, it does seem like it may get pushed to the later end of the season. Uh, so Zeke will be there early when they play the Giants, in my opinion. I think Jerry Jones will be able to push that out instead of we it's it's so hard um the next time Zeke will be able to play at the moment that I'm recording this will be week eight against the Redskins so week eight against the Redskins you're looking to see Zeke back I don't think that holds up like I said earlier I think it goes to four and they're like Zeke do it again and we'll we'll get you with a hefty suspension um yeah, I think it was quite outrageous for six games. Very outlandish. Um, I I don't know what else to say about it. I, it's interesting to see what is going to happen in the coming months with this appeal. It could be like Tom Brady pushed it a whole year and missed four games to start the next. So who knows? We'll see. Uh, next, we have Sammy Watkins is traded to the, the St. Louis. Is it the L.A. Rams? Yes, L.A. Rams. Holy, I almost messed that one up. But uh, Watkins and a 2018 sixth-round pick to the Rams for EJ Gaines and a 2018 second-round pick. Um, what this does for Watkins' career, uh, Watkins was only on a one-year contract anyway, so he probably wasn't going to stick around. Uh, Watkins is going to have an awful quarterback in Jared Goff. Uh, until Goff shows me that he has anything to be at the QB level of the NFL, I, I don't I don't see Watkins having that great of a year. I think he could maybe still catch for 1,000 yards. Um, but Because Kenny Britt last year did have 1,000 yards receiving with the uh, awful Jared Goff. But given – I mean, Watkins is the better talent. I don't see him having a great year like I was expecting for the Bills. I was very high on Watkins. Um, I think this trade is, is, I don't think it was good to be honest. Um, I thought the bills were actual contenders given their defensive prowess and having LaShawn McCoy and Tyrod Taylor. And they had Watkins and that offensive line that was good. I thought they, they had a legitimate shot to be good this year, but given that the Patriots have the best team they've ever had, in my opinion, I do understand not necessarily blowing up what they had, but trying to rebuild for the future. Um, I think this is a positive for Gurley, however. Uh, adding another threat in that offense is going to be able to make the Rams better. I think this is a positive game for the Rams and a very negative game for Watkins, and it's very positive for Gurley. I think Gurley just increased yards and touchdowns, honestly. If you have to respect Sammy Watkins on the outside, it, it's going to open things up for Gurley, and I think that's what the Rams were thinking. I think it's almost a uh, – they wanted to get a wide receiver one type talent into that offense before Gurley got to the point where he was he was 
like beat up. No, I think this is a test to see how good Gurley actually is now um, before they were to re-sign him to a longer deal. So I think overall this is good for the Rams. The Bills, however, I don't really know. But the Bills did make another move. Uh, they traded for Jordan Matthews. So here's the trade details. Uh, Jordan Matthews and a 2018 third rounder to the Bills. So Matthews in a third rounder. And the Bills send Ronald Darby to the Eagles. And as a fan of Carson Wentz and the Eagles, that is an absolute steal, in my opinion. You're getting a very good young quarterback in Ronald Darby. Uh, that defense just got more good. They, the defense that the Eagles are building right now is absolutely ridiculous with that front seven. And now adding a corner, which they desperately needed. I think that defense is crazy, and honestly, that the Eagles getting rid of Jordan Matthews is a good thing, because as you've heard in the, the podcast before this, Jordan Matthews has cinder blocks for hands. In, in my opinion, he was awful, so getting rid of Jordan Matthews is a very big plus for the Eagles, in my opinion. Um, in terms of the Bills, uh, I do understand adding a wide receiver that you think has talent. But adding a wide receiver that plays the slot after just signing Anquan Bolden, so you have a bunch of slot guys without really the field stretcher on the outside. I mean, Zay Jones is there, but he's a rookie, so how much do you really want to bank on his production? Um, I just see this as the Bills blowing it up. Um, I don't see the, uh, the real nature of this trade being anywhere good. Uh, I mean, you're you're gaining picks back, and you're you're building for the future, but I, you could have got so much more for Ronald Darby, in my opinion, because you've got an awful receiver in Jordan Matthews, and a third rounder for Ronald Darby. I mean, if I as a Vikings fan, like I I would give a lot for Ronald Darby to put across from Xavier Rhodes. So I we should have traded Laquad Treadwell or fucking Diggs or something, but uh. Sorry for the, the sniffles, everybody. I'm a, a little under the weather. But uh, back to the point is Matthews left practice at 15 minutes into the Bills' first practice with him with a chest injury. Uh, he's out indefinitely. Um, it's labeled as a chipped sternum. So being labeled out indefinitely, is it's almost as a, you know, we really don't want to put a time on Jordan Matthews to come back. Because it's it's really serious. Um, these linger with you. You're gonna have to wear a flak jacket. Uh, it it's gonna hurt and it's gonna test Jordan Matthews' ability to play through pain. And I don't see him being able to do that. The Bills overall, they they got good value. No, they didn't get good value. I lied there. Then they they got picks. And they're rebuilding for the future. That's about all I can say. In my opinion, they didn't get enough for what they were giving. They traded away an all-defense all Ronald Darby and a very good young Sammy Watkins. Uh, poor Bills fans. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone hates the Patriots. We're sorry they had to do that to you. But uh, next person on the list is uh, Martavis Bryant. 
makes a long-awaited turn to the practice field. Uh, Martavis Bryant was suspended all of last year for weed uh, or substance abuse, and uh, he's able to start practicing, and it's looking good for the Steelers wide receiver. Yeah, he's a 6'4 body, very fast, and he's opposite of Antonio Brown and one of the most potent offenses in the NFL. I'm looking for a big year out of Bryant, and I think for Steelers fans, it's nice to actually see all of their starters on the field at the same time. You had Ben Roethlisberger missing games because of knees. You had Bell missing because of suspension and knees. You had Martavis Bryant missing, like I said, because of suspension. Brown's been the only consistent one, but they, they haven't been on the field at the same time for over a year. So I'm in what I think is Ben Roethlisberger's last year, it's going to be interesting to see how many points this offense can put up. Uh... You know, I think Bryant is going to struggle after missing a, a whole season of sports activity. I think he he's going to struggle to start. And I think towards the end of the year, he's going to come on strong. Uh, he plays the Browns in week one. So maybe, maybe he goes off week one. But I would damper my expectations until he's able to get more reps with real game time action. Uh, another thing to note is Devonta Freeman and JJ are both still in concussion protocol. At this point, I don't think it's too serious, but in, in Ajay's case, um, he's had some issues with concussions. So seeing him have a concussion kind of worries me as a, as a Dolphins fan, given what really do you have to look forward to this season anyway? <laughs> but, uh, it's not bad for Devonta Freeman. I mean, you never want to see a guy have a concussion, but I wouldn't put too much worry into it. You just lock that guy up for, what, five years? So, yep, both of those two are in concussion protocol. And for our last news update of the week, Cam Newton is throwing for the first time since surgery and is looking to return to his MVP form. Uh, Newton came off a surgery to repair some muscles in his shoulder, uh, he should be able to come back. I think he's going to have a great year, uh, a great year for Cam Newton. So they, he came to MVP level two years ago, and then last year kind of shit the bed in terms of uh, NFL efficiency. Uh, he wasn't too great, but I think this year he, he's going to bounce back. He's, gonna, he's not going to be MVP level Cam, but I think he's going to be a very decent quarterback. I think he could be mid-level tier with the, with the upside of being absolutely great. So, shout out to Cam Newton to working back through his injury. Um, it's never really easy. I mean, Andrew Luck has had to go through these surgeries to repair muscles in his shoulder and, and work back through the uh, offseason. So, Andrew Luck's done it. Cam Newton's a bigger body, stronger. I, I think Cam Newton can work through it just fine. And, uh, I think we should move on to the next segment. The next segment is we're going to run through all 32 offensive line units heading into the 2017 series. Uh, all, the, all these facts are according to profootballfocus.com, so I'll leave their link in the description. I'm going to read you what they have to say about the O-lines, and uh, all the facts are by Pro Football Focus. So if you'd want to uh, read into it, like I said, it'll be in the description. And you can read along with me if you'd like. 
Um, here we go. So number one would kind of surprise people, in my opinion. So the number one ranked offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, out of all the offensive lines in the NFL, the Eagles currently have the fewest holes. Their biggest question mark when heading into the 2017 season is center Jason Kelsey, who is a former All-Pro in his own right. They also have a dominant player like Lane Johnson, who is the best right tackle in the NFL. So, last, I think this is going to be good. The Eagles obviously have great players. They have Jason Peters, Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Cooks, and Allen. So, yeah, um, that's, that's a plus for Blunt. That's a plus for Carson Wentz. He's going to stay off the ground. Defense is good. I think I think the Eagles are looking up. Uh, number two, when thinking about the Cleveland Browns, I don't think anyone on their team is good. But according to Pro Football Focus, the Browns are at two. The offseason free agent spending spree could pay off huge dividends for Cleveland. Uh, J.C. Treader and Kevin Zeitler both bring well above average grades from a season ago at center and guard, respectively. The only question mark comes at right side. Right tackle where Sean Coleman looked at least competent in his 62 snaps as a rookie. So I'm looking at this Cleveland O-line, and I'm thinking what that does for the Browns. I'm thinking that gives the quarterback situation there a little bit of a of a positive. Because whether it's going to be Kaiser or Kessler or Brock Osweiler, they're, they're going to have a decent O-line. They're going to be able to run the ball with Crowell or Duke Johnson. Uh, they're going to be able to throw the ball to Kenny Britt. I, th- I think that, that surprises me in a way that the Browns are so bad with such a good offensive line. But it, it's definitely looking up. Uh, number three is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, if you're projecting purely off the final nine games from a season ago, the Steelers would be the number one line in the league. Uh, Villanueva came off a extremely strong came on extremely strong over that period, but his poor play from 2015 drags them down a little bit. Over the final nine-game stretch, he allowed just 12 pressures. And that level, if that level of play continues, Ben Roethlisberger will be a very happy man. Uh, this goes into the aspect when I was talking about Martavis Bryant. With such a good offensive line ranked at three, it opens up holes for Le'Veon Bell. It opens up holes for the passing game. Um... That, that's great. I think the Steelers are really good, and I think you could kind of tell that they were so good because when they plug-and-play guys like Fitzgerald Toussaint or D'Angelo Williams to take over that bell roll, they, they perform extremely well. So you could almost say that this is a system where you could take any running back. I'm not taking away from Le'Veon Bell's talent because he's absolutely an extraordinary talent, but... From what I'm reading here and what I've seen, this offensive line is extraordinary. Um, Number four, Tennessee Titans. Tennessee is in the midst of building something special along its its offensive line. First-round tackles Taylor Lewan and Jack Coughlin have lived up to the hype and then some, while former undrafted guard Quentin Spain has turned into a gem. Uh, you could kind of tell also with this team that the Titans had a good offensive line. They ran the hell out of Murray. They passed well with Mariota. Uh, I think it's it's a good offensive line. Like, a, like There's not much you could say about it. They're not pretty. They don't have anything spectacular going on. But the Titans will be able to run the ball. Uh, it's, a, it's a very p- good plus for Murray. 
And we're going to continue on the trend of bad teams with good offensive lines. So the Chicago Bears. Uh, fifth might seem steep for Chicago, but at the moment, there isn't a better interior offensive line in the NFL. Left guard Josh Sitton, center Cody Whitehair, and right guard Kyle Long are all all-pro caliber players. The issue arises at tackle where Charles Leno and Bobby Massey have proven themselves more than below-average starters. So... Looking at this, between the tackles, the Chicago Bears look to be great. And that looks good for Howard, um, I, the starting QB, whether it's Glennon or Mitchell. Um, I think that it's great for Meredith and Victor Cruz and Kevin White, if available. Um, yeah, go Chicago. Sixth. On the list is the Atlanta Falcons. They are the sixth-ranked offensive line from a year ago, and we, they've replaced by far their biggest issue in right guard Chris Chester. The only problem is that there is no guarantee that Wes or Ben Garland will prove to be an upgrade. Um, you know, with all the talent that's on the Falcons' O-line, I don't, or not the O-line, but the offense in general, I don't see the O-line being a big issue, but it's nice to see that they're ranked high. Um, I think that Julio, Matt Ryan, Devontae Freeman, Coleman, um, I think they make that offensive line better because you're not able to rush all of your guys because of what you have to respect in the passing game. And after an MVP season, I actually do expect the Falcons to have a step back a little bit in terms of everything. So I think their offensive line is ranked a little high. Um, I won't take away from their talent, obviously, but I, I do agree with the top 10 offensive line. Go Falcons. Uh, seven, I think this is actually quite low, but the Oakland Raiders. Uh, if the right tackle position didn't exist, this would be the best offensive line in football. Unfortunately for Oakland, we're still including the position in our analysis. Whether it's Austin Howard, Marshall Newhouse, or v Vidal Alexander, it looks to be like the right tackle will continue to be a problem area in Oakland. Center Rodney Hudson uh, is ranked with the highest pass blocking efficiency among centers. So, whether it's uh, Osmeli, <laughs> whatever that whatever that guard's name is, if any of you guys can pronounce it, that's great. Uh Rodney Hudson's great. This offensive line is amazing. Uh, I'm actually surprised to see them at seven. Like I mentioned, I think that's a little, uh, I don't know. I think, they're, in my opinion, the Raiders are better. But at eight, we have the Green Bay Packers. Uh, well, Green Bay still has two of the best pass protection tackles in the NFL, and David Bakhtiar and B Brian Beluga. The interior has taken some lumps over the past two seasons. Gone are both Josh Shitton, TJ Lang, and J.C. Treader. Uh, two of those guys have gotten to the Bears, like we mentioned, so that makes that's why their offensive line is so great. But if you, but if one of either Kyle Murphy or Jason Spriggs can make the switch effectively to guard, Green Bay can be a top ten offensive line. Ranked at eight, they have them. Uh, yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to break down these offensive lines at the top. Uh, towards the end, we'll be able to break it down a little bit more. But at nine, the surprising pick of all of these is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, known for their offensive line prowess, they are ranked at nine out of 32. Uh, they've been the class of the league for so long. 
but a line can only survive so many hits. Ronald Leary and Doug Free weren't at the caliber of Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, or Zach Martin. But they were quality players in their own right. The big question mark is if Leal Collins moving to right tackle. Tackle was more of a natural college position, but his below average performance at guard isn't too encouraging. So Leal Collins is moving to right tackle. I, I, I actually believe in the talent that Leal Collins has. So in terms of looking at this O-line, it is Tyron Smith, Jonathan, Jonathan Cooper coming from the Browns, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, and Leal Collins. To me, this is still the best offensive line in the NFL. So having them at nine is a little, uh, a little low for me, but I do respect what they have to say about losing players and the additions that they have and the question marks whether or not they'll be able to adapt to the new positions they have. So at nine, Dallas Cowboys. Ten, not much to say, but the Buffalo Bills. After right after the right tackle position in Buffalo had been a wasteland the past few seasons, they addressed it in a big way and Temple tackled Deion Dawkins in the second round of the draft this past April. Every other position along the line was solid a season ago, so the rookie right tackle will likely make or break this line's ranking. So basically what they're saying is nothing really changed for the Bills other than the fact that they drafted a new right tackle that's supposed to be decent. So having them at 10 is a little bit of a, yes, we believe that you can jump up of our rankings, but having them at 10, I like it. They're still a top 10 offensive line. Um, Going to be a crap ton of holes for LaShawn McCoy. Uh, yeah, not much to say about the Bills at 10. Uh, 11, Washington Redskins. Continuity doesn't really play a role in these rankings, but if the Redskins would get a bump, but, but if they did, the Redskins would get a bump. They bring back the same starting five from a year ago, and that line had four of the five starters from 2015. Understanding what the, the man next to you is going to do isn't necessarily something we can capture in a grading system, but it is certainly important to an offensive line's effectiveness. So basically what they're saying is that these guys have played together for so long, they know how each other play, that, that that's an added bonus, but they can't track it. So... The Redskins could be a very good offensive line just because they're good in talent and they played together for so long that they could be amazing. So uh, Washington Redskins at 11, I like it. Uh, Carolina Panthers are at 12. The interior of the Panthers line is solid, but the tackle position is still a concern. They spent big money this offseason on former Viking Matt Khalil, which as a Viking fan, he was god-awful, so that's a huge negative, who was who has graded out below average every single season since a successful rookie campaign. What do you know? Injuries have played a, a, a part there, uh, but there is no guarantee he regains that form, which he won't because he's awful. Uh, the wild card here could be rookie second-round pick Taylor Morton, who was consistently one of, the, one of our highest-graded linemen between the tackle and guard in college. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line looks like Brandon Albert, Pat, Pat, Patrick Omeh, uh, don't roast me there. Um, you guys can Google him. Uh, his name is ridiculous. Brandon Linder, AJ Kane, and Jeremy Parnell. So decent offensive line. Uh, yeah, I expect Fournette to have a bunch of holes. Uh, number 14, which is going to surprise everyone, is the Minnesota Vikings. Truthfully, I'm surprised myself at the Vikings ranking here. Realistically, they shored their offensive line enough to where they aren't 
any glaring weaknesses, but at the same time, there's little in the way of high-level play either. They finished 29th in our end-of-the-year 2016 rankings, so this would be quite the bump. Um, I, th I don't think pro football focus is in the wrong here, but as a Viking fan, um, do I believe that my own offensive line is top 15 in the league? And no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to take their word for it. It's great to hear what other people have to say. So, uh, yeah, if, if you're looking into Dalvin Cook, he has a top 15 offensive line according to Pro Football Focus. So, yeah, take that into consideration. That's surprising me a little bit, actually. Uh, 15 is the Kansas City Chiefs. This one line that I could very well see sneaking into the top 10 by the end of the season. Uh, it's still a very young line that saw all five players be at least average by the end of 2016. Though he... Though he had a rough start to his career, former number one overall pick Eric Fisher has steadily improved every season. Um, Chiefs are going to be good in terms of rushing the ball, but the person that is rushing the ball is the question. So whether it's Kareem Hunt, Spencer Ware, or Kendrick West, they're going to get room behind that line. Uh, 16 is the New Orleans Saints. The injury to Taron Armstead torpedoes the Saints ranking. Armstead was legitimately on the way to being a top five left tackle before injuries derailed his 2016 and now 2017 performances. The first round selection of Ryan Ramzik looks looks good at this point, and his ability will be crucial to the line's success. He was our highest-rated tackle in the draft. Now, when I say he was our, that is pro football focus. So noting the pronouns here is important. Uh, 17 is the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the success of this online will largely be dependent on the 2015 first-round pick in DJ Humphreys. He couldn't, tra he couldn't crack the starting lineup as a rookie, and last season his lumps on the right side yielding nine sacks. Uh, he was in the line for left tackle spot in 2017, and will need to take big strides for this line to improve. So Arizona Cardinals at 17. Uh, 18, Los Angeles Rams. Going from Greg Robinson to Andrew Whitworth, a very good tackle, should make Jared Goff's life's con life considerably easier. Whitworth had the highest pass-blocking efficiency of any tackle in the league last year. Even if he takes a small step back in his age, or in his uh, performance at his age, that will still be one of the biggest off-season upgrades at any position around the NFL. 19. New England Patriots. This is ranked this ranking is purely off a quirk of the system we use to compile it. Since they were compiled off two-year sample players like right guard Shaq Mason and right tackle Mason Cannon, who both drastically improved a season ago, get underrated. Realistically, this is the same line that finished last year ranked 10th and should only keep improving. 20. New York Jets the Jets rank this high solely due to the fact that each player among the line has proven at least competent. This is the ranking for not having any holes at the line. That being said, there's little reason to get excited that this line will improve drastically as all starters will be 26 or older by the time week one rolls around. 21. Los Angeles Chargers. Is it possible that the Chargers won't be dreadful once again on their offensive line? It's been 10 years straight that San Diego has had its offensive line grade out below average. But it's possible that the line move to Los Angeles will lift the curse. On paper, they should be massively upgraded with Russell Okun, uh, Forrest Lamp, who, who just became injured, so don't expect Forrest Lamp to be a force, and Dan Feeney. 
all added this offseason. 22, Indianapolis Colts. For the Colts, it's more of the it's more of the same along the offensive line. They've made it through the offseason without seriously addressing any starting position, which means they'll be relying on improvement from youngsters to boost this ranking. It's very possible that they do end up with a better line, as four of their five starters are still on the rookie contracts and two backups drafted within the first four rounds first four rounds the last two years. 23, Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are rock solid at left tackle, Ronnie Stanley and right guard Marshall Yanda. But every other position is a big question mark. Left guard Alex Lewis and center John Urschel have flash potential in the past and can push this ranking higher. The same, though, cannot be said for right tackle James Hurst. 24. Detroit Lions. The loss of Taylor Decker crushes the Lions ranking here. Going from him to Greg Robinson is a night and day difference. It doesn't help that Robinson will be sat next to easily the weakest position on the Lions line, where neither high draft picks in Graham Gaslow or Lakin Tomlinson have proved themselves even average as starters. 25. Surprisingly, Denver Broncos. Much of the Broncos' protection comes down to how first-round draft pick Garrett Bowles performs. If he's a solid starter from day one, the Broncos could have an above-average line with a Pro Bowl caliber guard in Robert Leary and a Pro Bowl caliber center in Matt Pardis. If Bowles can't even beat out David Stevenson, our second-lowest-grade tackle a season ago, they'll have issues. 26. Miami Dolphins. After finishing with the league's two lowest guard, graded guards in 2015, Laramie Tunsil brought some <laughs> he, he brought competency to the competency to the position last year. They could very well very well be back at that position again. As Tunsil moves to left guard or left tackle where he is an unknown. Right guard Jeremy Bushford Bushrod finished as the fourth lowest graded tackle in the league last year, while projected left guard Anthony Steen wasn't much better in 408 snaps last year. 27. San Francisco 49ers. Left tackle Joe Staley is the only saving grace for the 49ers, but at 32 years old, even he isn't the all-pro force that he once was. If there is any hope for this line, it comes in the form of Josh Garnett. The first round pick in 2016 was a nightmare in pass protection as a rookie. 28. New York Giants. Few teams have larger chasms on their offensive line than the left side of the Giants' home line. Eric Flowers has had serious issues in pass protection over the course of his career and led all tackles and pressures allowed as a rookie. Next to him is left guard Justin Pugh, who has been among a top 15 guard when healthy over the past four seasons. 29. Houston Texans. The emergence of Nick Martin and Julian Davenport can work wonders for this offensive line, but there's little hope for the status quo from a season ago. Left guard Xavier Sufuel looks like a bust at this point after back-to-back seasons as a bottom 20 guard. 30. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. While Tampa Bay's line has the potential to be much better than its ranking, they have yet to prove anything. Ali Marpet is a star in the making after finishing as the 13th highest rating guard in the league in a sophomore campaign, and his transition to center could pay dividends. However, the same cannot be said for fellow 2015 draft D, Donovan Smith. He finished 66 out of 78 qualifying tackles a season ago in overall grade, and that was an improvement. 31. Cincinnati Bengals, second to last. No line can lose two Pro Bowl caliber players and expect to still perform at a high level. This is especially true for the Bengals who look completely 
at last to fill the shoes of left tackle Andrew Whitworth and right guard Kevin Zeitler. The loss may be felt the most at tackle where the drafted replacements Jake Fisher and Cedric awful name that I'm not even going to try to pronounce have looked lost anytime they've seen the field. And last but not least, actually they are the least, the Seattle Seahawks at 32. Even with the addition of Luke Jokel, there's little reason to think this won't yet again be the worst offensive line in the NFL. They finished dead last a season ago in snap-adjusted run blocking grade and snap-adjusted pass blocking grade. They get the lowest-graded left tackle, George Fant, out of the starting lineup should help, but it won't fix the unit overnight. So that was pro football focus, 1 through 32 ranked offensive lines. And the ones that surprised me were Dallas, and the Broncos the most, and the Vikings. So I thought Dallas and the Broncos, they were going to be a lot higher, and I thought that the Vikings were absurdly high. Uh, As a Viking fan, watching them even in the preseason, they got destroyed by the Bills' defense. But it's worth noting that the Browns are a top-two offensive line in the league, so anything's possible. Uh, Other than that, There's not much to talk about in terms of things that have happened this week. Uh, I feel like I covered everything. Um, I was asked to do a segment on offensive lines in the NFL. And from what I've told you, you should be able to make references to their running back and whether or not they should be able to perform. Uh, Yeah, so uh, without further ado, um, that's been this episode. Uh, We should be back coming next week. But for now, it's me leaving. Uh, It's been Kyle. See you later.